Blog Talk Radio. I dreamt that you were twisting through seven suns of gold, and the gypsy was insisting that a story must be told. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Real Deal Recovery Talk with Julie and Veronica. I am Julie Maida, and I'm here with my co-host, Veronica Valley, who's going to be sharing a bit of her story today. So, hey, hey, Veronica. Hi, Julie. Welcome back from vacation. Thank you. I'm still in a kind of a vacation coma. Good. Um, Hey. Uh, So, um, last week, we told you guys that um, we are actually recovery twins we Veronica and I got sober on the very same day on the very same year uh, May 2nd 2000 and last week I talked a little bit about where I was um, on May 2nd 2000 but I'd love to hear Veronica where you were what was going on um, how you were feeling and all of that on this day of our sober birthday yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I was uh, slightly older than you. I was 27. It was very strange how I got sober. Um, I was uh, spending some time in Key West in Florida and the night before had been um, a taste of Key West. It's kind of the end of the tourist season and where all the restaurants kind of do this thing where you can, you know, taste the food and those drink and I remember going to it with my boyfriend at the time and getting um like you had to buy like exchange money for tokens to get the food and drink and so you know obviously we got quite a few drink tokens and um had some wine and was a little bit drunk but not crazy drunk and I don't know why I I ended up breaking up with my boyfriend I have no idea why and I left. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Yeah, I was just like, you know, I like uh, you know, things were fine at the beginning of the evening, and by the end of the evening, I'm screaming at him. Um, and anyway, so I left the event, and I had drink tokens left. And I remember walking home, going, "Fuck! Like I've got drink tokens left. Like that never happens. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't exchange them back. And like, oh man, like I've got drink tokens, man." And I went home and um, I woke up and the next day I just decided not to drink, which kind of sounds really strange. And what I, I kind of need to backtrack a little bit. I, I had been, um, so for a few months I'd been going to uh, college to uh, study to become an addictions counselor uh, in full-blown alcoholism. And the mm-hmm. reason that I was doing that was because Oh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, uh, the reason that I was doing that was because um, I suffered from really bad panic attacks in my drinking, and I had a degree in women's studies, and I kind of, in my insanity, thought, like, I, I, I couldn't work in groups of people. Like, I just couldn't. Um, and uh, so I thought, like, I can work on a one-to-one basis, Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be a therapist. Like, what yeah. I, I have so much to offer. <laughs> Which is so funny because you were saying that our stories are so similar because when I hit my bottom 
in that time, I was going to school and, and majoring in psychology because I was going to, we were oh. going to like fix the world, right? We were going to fix everyone. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. that's crazy. So I've been, I've been going to school for a while uh, doing this addictions counseling course and kind of sitting there kind of going, uh-huh, okay. And um, like I also had to go, like they recommended that you attend some of the 12-step meetings to just see what your client group was like. So I, had to, I, I hadn't done that, but I kind of thought about it, but didn't really want to go. Um, mm-hmm. And like I so said, it was a very, like I was very, like I did not wake up I knew there was something wrong with me. I knew there was something wrong with me for a long time. And I thought it was a very rare mental health condition. But I didn't really think I had a drink problem because I drank like my peer group. And I thought that they were all fine. So I must be. I kind of thought that I shouldn't do drugs. I kind of knew cocaine was a big problem for me. But I I didn't drinking because I didn't drink every day. I was a binge drinker. Julie, you're moving around a lot. What's going on? Me? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I can hear something. Okay, okay. Um, and then, um, so yeah, so I was doing this course, and then uh, I just woke up, and I just thought, I'm not going to drink today, and I have no idea why I made that decision. Like, I have no idea why I made that decision. And that day turned into a week, and that turned into a month, and I realized that I didn't have any friends, that all my friends were people that I drank with and were fair-weather friends. Mm. Um, and then I kind of thought well I'll go along to one of these meetings just to see what these people are like and uh, you know who I'm going to be helping down the road and uh, it was a very very slow awakening for me okay well I I can totally relate to um, the no friends thing I cannot um, I don't know that's that's a very interesting part of your story where you just woke up and decided that you were done. And I, I have heard other people tell that story and it, 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 it doesn't even baffle me. It inspires me. I think it's amazing um, that you had, that you came to that conclusion just one day and then that was it. Um, but also with the no friends. Um, and then, so how did you, how did it move on from there? So you, so you went to this meeting to see how those people, <laughs> I love that you said that to those people, because I used to think that too, um, how those people were. And then how, you know, after a few weeks, like, did you decide, you know, some people don't um, identify as alcoholic. Some people struggle with that identification. Did you have trouble? Did you, like, at what point did you realize that, um, you know, that, that you did, that this was a problem and that maybe it was going to be a lifelong recovery process. So I started to kind of like hang out with people who were sober and, and kind of go to some self-help groups. And I did not identify with anybody. Um, I, I was living in, I was staying in, in Key West in Florida and um everybody had spectacular drinking and drug stories. Everyone had like <laughs> multiple DUIs, multiple divorces, multiple bankruptcies, and like mm-hmm. hilarious stories of, um, you know, being on drug runs from Cuba or on the run from the police in different states. Or, And I just did not identify at all with anybody. I was a girl from a rural town in England 
who drank, fell over and woke up every morning wanting to kill herself mm. and, and just not knowing what was wrong with me. So I just didn't, none of that stuff had happened to me. I mean, my life was chaotic, but I was always just managed to stay kind of just ahead of the chaos. Like I always mm-hmm. left the job before I got fired. I always kind yeah. of moved before I got, th- you know, I always just, yeah. and I always kept jobs. Like I never, I never got fired. Job is where the money is. So I, I had to keep the job. Um, and for me, it was when, so I was kind of not drinking, but not really sure why I wasn't drinking and not really sure if I wanted to drink again, but not really sure if I wanted to not drink again. Mm-hmm. Not not fitting in anywhere. I didn't really have any friends, but did like the fact that my life was a little bit calmer. And and I felt, you know, when someone drinks the way we do, and I'm so allergic to alcohol, I am like violently sick every time I drink. So not mm-hmm. to be hung over and, you know, have my central nervous system depressed and, and just get better sleep. I, I was kind of like, wow, this is pretty amazing. I feel really good. Um, but I, I was really kind of lost. I really didn't know. So I, I like I said, I really, I knew something was wrong with me since I was five years old. I knew I was different to other people. And I just thought I was unique in that. And that it was some rare mental health condition that, you know, with the panic attacks kept me very isolated. I couldn't mm-hmm. tell anybody about them. It was very scary. I was always having to think up elaborate excuses and lies to get out of situations when I felt very anxious and panicky um and it limited my choices and my opportunities so I constantly felt frustrated and um you know disappointed and incomplete I wasn't even close to fulfilling my potential I had this 50 percent life so I was in a self-help group and I heard someone talk about fear and they spoke about fear in a way that I've never heard anyone speak about fear um and uh that just did it for me I just um I thought I was the only one who felt that way Mm. and uh, when some this this guy he you know like a middle-aged guy said um that he drank because he was the only way of dealing with the fear inside of him and he was scared of nothing and anything and everything I was rooted to my seat because I just didn't think anyone else in the world ever felt that way. And then I kind of knew it's like, that that was my light bulb moment. And I thought, fuck, that's mm. why I drink. I, I, I really thought up until that point, an alcoholic, you had to be a smelly old man on a bench drinking mm-hmm. out of a brown paper bag. I thought that was the qualification and I was nowhere near that. Yes. So I didn't think I was qualified. And then when he explained alcoholism as a way of thinking and feeling, which completely described my inner world, um, I, I everything clipped in, into place for me. And what, what, is, what was that like? Because I remember what, exactly um, the time when you feel that fear of, you know, uh, being the only one in the universe who could possibly feel this lost, this scared, this, you know, screwed up or whatever. And that moment where you realize that you're in a room full of those people. <laughs> How did that feel for you? Oh, for me, I was so relieved. I was just like, thank God. Like I have finally found out what's wrong with me. Cause I had spent like, uh, 10 years at that point 
I, I hit my rock bottom at 17 when I went into drug-induced psychosis. I was delusional, paranoid, having a nervous breakdown, and I couldn't tell anyone because I didn't mm. even know how to put that into words. Right. Um, and I be- did begin to look for help. I went to doctors. I got prescription drugs. I went to counselors. And I just I couldn't even put it into words. I couldn't articulate what it was it was and because drugs were involved I was scared to talk about that because it was illegal and I just went bounced around from counselor to psychologist to mental health worker to therapist to churches to self-help books to just like and I bits and pieces I related to like the anxiety or the low self-esteem or the it wasn't, it was like everything finally came together in that just really like understanding how alcoholism is a disease of how you think and how you feel. And it just, it was just a light bulb. And, and I was so relieved. I was just like, at last, I, I just, somebody show me what to do to be okay. I just want to be okay. Show me what I have to do and, and I'll do it. Yes. Um, does that make sense? That is a- Yes, that is that makes very much sense. And I remember that moment feeling quite similar um, that I was like never going to have to be alone ever again in my, in all of this and that there was help uh, for me. And, you know, and that the possibilities were endless. And I also totally relate to to uh, I compared to other people's stories because I was 22 and you were 26 and I wasn't I had not been married, so I hadn't been divorced. I hadn't. I, you know, I was, I, I was exactly the same as you quitting jobs before I could be fired. That's probably why you left that boyfriend, right? Cause you, you probably sniffed out that he was like getting ready to dump you or something. And so, you know, cause that, that was my MO. Like if I, if there was, you know, blood in the water, I was, I was getting out. Um, and it saved me from a lot of disappointment, but I'm sure also, um, kept me from enjoying all sorts of stuff. So, um, I totally relate that um, um, I'm just going to let, let our live listeners know that we're actually I clicked on the wrong button so we're actually going to go we're going to stop being live in about 45 seconds but we are going to be able to still record and the rest of the uh, broadcast you'll be able to download it in about an hour's time so I'm apologies for that but um, you will we will be able to continue talking um, you know what it was with this guy I, I think it was just like the need to create drama mm-hmm. like you know, I just didn't, that came apparent to me after I got sober was um, uh, just this need to create drama. Yes. Well, and, and yeah, and I, I carried it on with me for probably like eight to 10 to 20, you know, like I carried that need for drama well, well on past my sobriety date. I don't know about you. But that yeah. did not end the day that I got sober. Yeah. <laughs> it almost and got I, worse. Yeah, I kind of remember, like, like things would happen, and and gradually in sobriety, I got the clarity that like what I was doing was was unnecessary. Like I just didn't need to do that, um, and that was really apparent in my relationship with my husband when I first met him, and we were dating, and there was all these opportunities that, and I I kept taking a different path. And not creating drama, and then kind of looking back and going, oh my god! In the past, you know, if a boyfriend had been late or rescheduled or whatever, not complimented me in the right way on my dress, I would have like, you know, you know, get strapped in because let me, 
let me create a <laughs> big fucking drama about that yeah. and there'll be tears and there'll be oh and, and I kind of realized that I wasn't doing that and I was having these different responses and they were happy, happening automatically and that's mm-hmm. kind of when I knew that I really had recovered like I just was experiencing and responding to the world in a very different way but yeah it did carry on in, in recovery but it was much easier it became easier to see but yeah mm-hmm. we're, so, we're such drama queens I was such a drama queen mm-hmm. I've got Mm-hmm. But yeah. nothing made me happier than than running through the town barefoot with mascara streaming down my treats. Yeah, because you know? so many people wanted to t- pay attention to me. Oh my goodness! Woe is me. Yep, I say that constantly. Like I wish that I had just had a Velcro strap on my on the back of my hand to my forehead so that I wouldn't have had to exert myself to hold it there because I, that was like that was my thing. I love the Victor Mall. Oh my goodness. Love, love, love. Oh, um, and so from that, so I, I want to definitely talk about um, your books because you are a published author um, mm. and, you know, you have your um, book, Why You Drink and How, uh, I'm sorry, How to Drink, or Why You Drink and How to Stop. Um, and how, I want to talk about how you got from that place to the point where you are you know, actually counseling, you know, you finished up your, your schooling and you, you know, um, and you are actually doing what you had set out to do before you got sober is helping people um, with their own stuff. How did, tell me a little bit about how you got from, I mean, I know that this is like years in the making, but um, tell me a bit about, you know, the steps that you took or what happened to get you from, you know, point A to point B. Have you always wanted to write a book? Um, yeah, but fiction, not, not nonfiction. Um, I, I still may do one day, maybe when I retire. Um, yeah. so I became, I did become a therapist. I continued with my studies. I, I was back in the UK and I worked in a treatment center and really kind of, you know, my, I got sober and also gave me my career. And I was very much one of those people, like I never knew what I wanted to do with my life. I did a bunch of different jobs, but I never really you know, I was never really excited about anything. Um, but I really love working with this community. I've worked in with um, my my absolute favorite is I've worked with teenagers in the criminal justice system. I love working with teenagers. I just love I love that client group. I just think they have so much courage and tenacity. But also, it's really possible to um, do an intervention when someone is young and really make a difference. And, you know, I've had people keep in contact with me or find me years later and, and, and say that. I mean, not everyone, but, um, I, I, yes, I've worked in treatment centers. I've worked, and, and then I eventually set up my own practice in London, uh, in Cambridge. Um, and I just, I, you know, really love working in that field. And, and I opened my own treatment center. And, that, you know, I was getting asked more and more, as I'm sure you do as well, Julie, to, you know, speak publicly about my story and all that kind of stuff. And um, it was actually my husband when we were dating. He said, you should write a book. You have all of these great ways of explaining things. And uh, my husband, his mother died of alcoholism. And, you know, he said it was just so helpful hearing me talk about it. And he understood his mother for the first time. And uh, so really, I wrote my book for uh, what we call the affected others. Because mm-hmm. I, I do, I do think that you know it's um, so hard for people to understand what alcoholism is like, and um, 
I really wanted to explain how we think and how we feel, you know, in the way that I did when I had that light bulb moment to hope to help, you know, to support that kind of group to really understand their loved ones. So I kind of threw it together and, and uh, then I had a friend whose wife was an editor and she had a look at it and it kind of went from there really. That's awesome. I told, that's absolutely amazing. And you're absolutely right. Um, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago about, um, it's addiction is so baffling to people who who don't or have not experienced it, and sometimes even to those of us who have, you know, like it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know why I keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting it to be different. I don't, I don't sometimes even recognize the voice in my head that says it's totally going to be, you know, if that's not going to happen this time, and here's why. Um, and so that's amazing. Um, and then how what are what was the time between the, the time where you wrote? why you drink and how to stop and get sober, get free, or was. I wrote get sober, get free when I was pregnant with my second child. And I just wanted to do people that asked me like, okay, like what can I actually do? Give me some stuff to do. And I wanted to write something that had more like, like it's, it's got, um, you know, questions that you can answer. And it's like a, a kind of mini program in a way to really, help you I found that stuff helpful in in really understanding why I thought the way I did and why I did stuff is to, is to begin to write it down so it's got some kind of challenging questions it looks at fear and like our behavior our relationships all that kind of stuff so I wanted it was really sort of an accompaniment to the first book um to, to give people you know something that they could a tool that they could go away and, and use definitely um, and my I'm working on another book and well, I say working, it's in my head <laughs> and I'm, I'm constantly like, Oh, I'm constantly writing notes and, and I'm really desperate to do it. I just, it's finding the time. Um, the next book I'm writing is on relationships. Awesome. Um, because I, 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 for many people, I, I feel that relationships are the biggest struggle and not, not just people in recovery. I mean, generally most people, but particularly people in recovery. And for me, I was three years sober when I hit rock bottom in sobriety and I was suicidal again. And it was all because of a relationship. It, it almost mm-hmm. killed me. And I had to dig yes. so deep to get out of that. And, you know, now I'm, I've been with my husband for 11 years and I, I created the life that I wanted, but it, I had to be absolutely on my knees to do that. Mm-hmm. We have we have that in common as well. Maybe really? we could collaborate on that book because oh my goodness, wow. um, it's well because you know I, I it is kind of like the bubble um, to where I put you know I put down the alcohol and then fifty other things pop up. I wrote about that also. Um, that just because we're in recovery from one thing doesn't mean that everything else in our lives are now perfect or is now perfect. Um, and so, oh, I, got, I can't wait to read that book. Uh, so tell me what, like, what have been, I want to talk about this next week, too, like, as far as um, a topic. Uh, but tell me some of the struggles that you have faced um, with the balance of motherhood and recovery. Like, what in your routine has changed since becoming a mother? What? Um, you know, your temperament, your, obviously we have less time to do all the things that, you know, 
we may want to do <laughs> like showering and taking a dump by ourselves. But anyway, tell me how um, your life has changed, your recovery has changed since becoming a mother. Oh, it was such a challenge, such a massive challenge. Um, I think, I mean, the first thing, I mean, so I was, uh, my oldest son is nearly six, so I was 11 years sober. So I had, you know, really, my recovery was really solid in that I had spent years and years regularly doing things that supported my recovery on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. You know, I, I, my life was fairly balanced. Um, I was, you know, I, I, I've always kind of had a morning and evening practice of, you know, different tools and they varied, maybe prayers, maybe a meditation, um, uh, an inventory where I look at myself and look at my behavior. Um, and, and every so often I do something really in depth that was like a maybe a weekend of really, you know, looking at maybe codependency or whatever, all that kind of stuff. And um, I really thought that it would continue when I had children. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it was such a shock, Julie. I mean, the first thing is my first child did not sleep for a year. So I was a stark raving lunatic. And I did nothing, pretty much nothing in my first year of being a mother to support my sobriety because I was so completely exhausted. All mm -hmm. I could do was, was take care of my baby and kind of get through the day. And, and that's basically what I did. And I really kind of, you know, I kind of knew that I wasn't doing anything, but I was like, you know what? I don't, it's not like, I don't go anywhere. I don't have a job. I just, you know, everything's fine. I'm just tired. And at the end of the first year, I remember uh, just feeling really toxic towards my husband. Like everything he did annoyed me and I was just irritated. And um, that for me is a really big red. Uh, I have a friend who has this brilliant saying that says, when I'm okay with me, I don't have to make you wrong. And mm. that is my biggest indication of my spiritual wellness because when I'm not okay, I do start making everybody else wrong. And the first person is usually my husband. You know, mm -hmm. you know, the way he does, I can't believe he did that, or why isn't he doing it the right way, or I can't believe she said that, and don't they know who I am? And when I start feeling very irritated with other people, it's always an indication that, that I'm not all right. And that was happening, and I, I, I indulged it for a little while, and then went, oh, shit, I'm not all right. And I just knew I wasn't. It was more than the exhaustion. I just, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And that's what recovery gave me. It's for my whole drinking uh, career, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. And that's why I drank, because it made me feel a bit more comfortable in myself for a few hours. And when I was sober, and then I began to, you know, it's happened at different times uh, that I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. I know I'm not all right. And I've really got to take some action. And, and I did. As soon as I kind of had that awakening, I really got back on, I mean, and, and my kind of program of recovery that, that I work does not look anything like it did before I had children or mm. I was married. But mm -hmm. I have found that as long as I'm willing to do something and fit it in somewhere, I can still reap the, the rewards. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. So um, I'm much more consistent now. But I, I was just, you know, like, yes, I think yesterday I was, 
I just needed to have like five minutes to myself to just kind of get my head together. I, I, I wanted to write some stuff down. I stuck the TV on for the kids. And usually, like, you know, we, I try and limit screen time. I really do. But I'll be completely Nobody's honest. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's yeah. judging you, Veronica. It's okay. You're in good company here. You're in good, my son is watching TV as we speak right now. It's fine. Exactly. So <laughs> needs must when you need. It's like for me, the child off. When I need the child off button and they just kind of. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, okay. I think something may just happen. Okay. We'll see. Uh, so it's like the child off button. And um, so, uh, you know, they just stand there hypnotized and you can yeah. like have 20, 30 minutes to yourself. And right. um, uh, well, for some reason it didn't work. They gave me like three and a half minutes and they were both upstairs all over me. And I'm like, oh, I hadn't done what I wanted to do. And, but they just need you, you know, and my, my kids are really mm-hmm. little two and five and they need me. And so I, I, having children is the best cure for selfishness just the best cure mm. you know not putting yourself first <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe it's the best uh way to figure out how selfish we are but I don't know if it's the best cure um but yeah no I totally I I, I'm, I think it's so important to talk more about how you know motherhood changes recovery and and sometimes it's obviously in some of the better ways but it can very much point to, you know, some of the things that we still have to work on. And I don't think there, there's enough people talking about this. I don't think that there's enough. Um, I know that I personally, when I became a mother, um, well, I have, have been a mother since I was 17, but uh, when I entered recovery and all of this, and, and my recovery changed when I had my, my two youngest sons, um, that that's okay, that that's, a perp, that's, a, that's kind of a normal transition. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think there's still so much stigma, you know, around being a drunk woman, let alone being a drunk mother. And I don't think women or mothers get nearly enough support um, in, their, in their recovery, but I just don't think mothers get enough support full stop. I really, really don't. Yeah. So I, I mean, when I had both my children, these, it was definitely, last year was definitely the biggest challenge I've ever had in my life and in my recovery. But when I had both my kids, I had moved to a brand new area. Like, so when I had my eldest, we'd just moved to America. So I didn't, I mean, I knew I had a few acquaintances, but that was it. I didn't have any family and no close friends. And the same thing when I had my second, we'd just moved to, to New York. And I had a, you know, three and a half year old, a brand new baby who wasn't sleeping. I was exhausted. We'd just moved house and I didn't know anybody. And my husband was working like 70 hours a week. And I, the isolation and the loneliness and the exhaustion, it, it, you know, it was really, really hard. Agreed. Well, I'm glad to have a, a space where we can t- talk about all of this stuff. I'd really love to, to continue the conversation about motherhood and recovery next week, if we could, um, and maybe even invite some of our listeners to um, submit some questions for us if they have you know, questions about uh, motherhood in recovery, recovery before motherhood, what, whatever that looks like. Um, I'd love to hear from um, our listeners and, um, and maybe answer some questions. You know, I have a four, a seven, and a 21-year-old. So I have a daughter that's going to be a senior in college this year. So I've been through some things with, uh, with all of them, <laughs> um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and I would love 
the opportunity to discuss that in an open forum with you um, and kind of get, you know, your feedback on. Yeah, I think that's great. I think I I remember when we were at She Recovers, you said something like, I have a black belt in staff. Oh, yeah, I really do. I do. Well, because you have to. I'm like armed. I have to be armed and ready at all times. Uh, having had a teenage girl in my house, you know, and, and I, I know I just, I've just gender stereotypes, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it right now. Cause it's, I haven't experienced what it's like to raise teenage boys yet. So I don't have that experience. Uh, but wow, just wow. And if you, you know, it rocked my, like it rocked my whole world into a new, I don't I mean, wow. It just, wow you know you think that you're spiritually well or that you're yeah. okay and then you invite a 13 year old into your space and raise her for the next six years and it's well wow. uh I, I, we're, yeah I completely relate to that and just when like yeah, when my second son was born and my, my oldest was about three and a half and, and really beginning to exert his, you know, preferences and personality and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, no longer, even if it's so little, you know, no longer so much in my control in that, you know, I couldn't, it wasn't just like a baby I could just carry anywhere and put him down or whatever and he would just do what I wanted. And I, um, I really think the children are sent to us to remind us who we really are and to heal us because... Uh, mm. I, um, I don't know about anybody else, but, uh, I had to really, um, get help to be, to be a parent. And there, there's, um, just to give a little, uh, shout out. I love Dr. Lauren Markham. She writes a blog called AHA Parenting, and that just fits with my belief around parenting. And I, I found myself behaving in ways in a parent that I, I, I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be that kind of parent who shouted or got angry and, and, and the way that affected my child. And it really bothered me. And um, I found Dr. Laura Markham, and, and I just found it enormously helpful. And what she really teaches is that parenting is 90% connection. And... Um, and that uh, when we have a when we connect and we have a relationship with our child, then they'll want to do what we want them to do. But mm-hmm. if we punish and and bribe and blame and all of that kind of stuff, that all that we do is teach them to how to manipulate and and we don't have that connection with them. And she also teaches um, the importance of self care, and that you just can't. You know, she has all these strategies and stuff, she, and and she says you can't do all of these things unless you're taking care of yourself. Um, and she also taught, and this is the big one, is, is how kids trigger you and mm-hmm. how they trigger feelings in you. And it's to do with your own childhood and you need yeah. to look at that. And yeah. that is so true. Absolutely. And uh, I, that was a big revelation to me is how my, how my son triggered me and my response and learning different ways to deal with that like just being angry like if he was rude or disrespectful or you know just different things and and but you know he's you know he's a kid and right I I found it enormously helpful to to get that kind of input and and it really has changed how I parent and how I think about things and and I, I really you know I really understand a lot more now and, and in, you know, kind of in, in the short term, sometimes those strategies feel a little bit harder, but in the long term, the payoff is really there. One of the things I've just been working on with my two sons, because uh, they play really well together, but, you know, there's conflict. And 
uh, how to deal with that. And, and I'm really beginning to see the payoff in like, she, she calls it coaching, like getting down and being like, Oh, you know, so-and-so looks sad because he can't play with the cards. What's going on with that? And okay. So you're going to take turn and like working out a strategy with them. And now I'm just seeing them do it without me. Like my oldest son saying, okay, well it's going to be your turn. And then when you finish, then it'll be my turn. And, and I'm seeing them work it out and I'm like, wow, it's amazing. That's awesome. Hard work. Yes. Well, it's kind of like the whole um, giving a man a fish and teaching a man to fish, right? Like that's what our job is as a parent is not to necessarily hand our kids fish every day for their lives, but to teach them how to get the things that we want them to have so that they can own them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it is, it's all, I mean, that's what she says. It's interpersonal skills. You know, it's like how they, and I, I kind of had this, I, I had this awareness that how I treated my eldest son would be how he treated his brother. And I really mm-hmm. kind of had that awareness that, I, you know, like we were never going to do like physical punishment or anything like that. And we were just, you know, like most parents just trying to figure it out as we go along and we made mistakes and would, you know, I, I, I always, you know, I need research and I, I want, you know, what does the research show me? Um, so I really wanted to be aware that, you know, the way I treated my oldest son is, you know, if he felt that he was being um, treated unfairly or any of those things, he would treat his younger sibling like that. And, and I, you know, I want to foster a really good relationship between the two of them. So, and so I mean, you know, I'll let, give me a call in 20 years. I'll let you know how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> seriously we'll, we'll have like 17 more books written by then each of us oh, won't we <laughs> oh my god and I'm sure that's something we're going to get to talking about because I that's something I'm already thinking about that you're already going through is like as they become teenagers and alcohol and drugs and all of that kind of stuff scares me senseless yes it's very it's it is a very scary thing but it's I think a part of my process and in surviving some of that was realizing my limitations like I cannot control her I cannot control my children um and and my desire to control them is fear-based all of it yeah yeah and so allowing them the the room to make mistakes and helping them to learn from those mistakes instead of trying to control and help them avoid them is has been uh, difficult to maneuver but you know, it's a lifelong process and um, it's very, it's been very triggering though, I will say. Um, and uh, if I had still been drinking, you know, my, my daughter triggered a lot of my drinking, I think not, not obviously directly, um, but the pressures that motherhood put on me on a daily basis definitely triggered my desire to go get wasted as much as possible. And so being sober and having to kind of find a, a place for all of that has been interesting, you know, um, and I have hopped from, you know, unhealthy coping skill to unhealthy coping skill to finding um, a healthy outlet that works for me. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. And I, and I'm like really looking forward to the opportunity to talk about all of this stuff because I think that it's, it's, it's totally valid. And I don't think it's discussed enough in this forum. Um, and I'm I'm excited to have this podcast where we can connect and continue to talk about maybe things that aren't being discussed as often as we would like them to be and really drawing from um, 
the, the listeners and being able to answer any questions that they have and also just learning from each other along this path. So I'm really excited. Yeah. You, you know, I remember when I was pregnant with my first son and I, I was 38. So I was pretty old and, you know, you're pregnant and, and you're excited, but you're scared because, you know, when you get older, there's all these risks. And um, I remember thinking like, I just, you know, I just want to get through the pregnancy and get the baby and then everything will be okay. You know, I won't be scared anymore. And, and I remember holding my son and like, you know, that explosion of mind blowing love hits you. Mm. And I realized, that oh shit I am never going to not be frightened again Mm, right and and my job as a parent is to manage that fear because I I definitely have when he was like in the first few months I and it was you know exhaustion and postnatal depression I definitely had moments where I looked at him and I just loved him so much and and this terror would hit me of loving him so much mm. of all of the things that could happen to him and I, and I couldn't cope with it and and I just wanted to lock him away and look after him forever and protect him forever so nothing ever hurt him and and that was a really you know as, a, as an alcoholic I, you know I can still I have to work at managing that fear because yeah. nothing, nothing there's nothing more frightening than being a parent and I think it really but it, it also challenges my belief system like every single day because I had a a really great friend um, early on in my recovery who said that it's very simple like God either is or he or he isn't and being a parent and and trusting in the universe with my children when they're not in my presence or you know whatever um, has been a process especially suffering with anxiety Um, over the vacation we were uh, we were going through the mountains you know we were walking there was, there's a, a wonderful place called uh, Lost River Gorge and in Lincoln, or near Lincoln, New Hampshire. And we're like walking up these man-made staircases over waterfalls and over like, and I have this four-year-old who would trip over his own sneaker walking <laughs> on a flat surface, uh, you know, and so it was, I just had to continue to remind myself that I was not in charge, that, you know, I can't, con- there, there are just some things I cannot control. Uh, I can drive myself insane trying to control them, but even so, even still. Um, and so, you know, but just having that patience and having to pray throughout the whole thing, um, either that or carry him the whole way. And he's like, I don't even know, not carryable at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, but but really almost losing my mind in certain cases where like, you know, if he's running up ahead, I was definitely yelling like, wait for mama, wait for mama. Um, but it's scary to have like your heart living outside of your body. Right. And so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it's, it it's definitely challenged my trust and reliance um, on, on, you know, on the universe and on God and, you know, all this stuff. Um, yeah. I get to see where I'm at with it, you know, when I'm like, okay, am, am I, who's, who's in control here? Like, am I willing to give up control? I'm kind of a control freak. So no, usually not. But um, yeah, yeah that, that's a big part of it. I kind of feel like when you, like when they're little, you, you are in control and you have to be in control. And I was saying to my, my best friend who has a, a uh, her 
uh, child is the same age as my youngest. It's like they're always like 10 steps ahead of you. Like they've, they've reached another part of their development while you're still in the one like, you know, back when. And, and you don't, you're like, oh, they, they, they do that now. Oh, they do it like this now. Or they understand that now. And I, I'm, you know, it's like, oh. And, you know, you're, you've got that kind of first year, couple of years where you really, you know, you're in control of so much. But then they're like beginning, you know, my two-year-old just started climbing out of his crib. And it's like, oh, God. Mm. It's like he was up last night just having a party, like just party, party, <laughs> party. And I'm like, oh, God, we're back to like not getting any sleep. And like what, you know, when they're out of their crib, like that's just the hot, you know, they're making sure the front doors are locked and you know, it's just like a whole new stage of his development that I'm not ready for. Right. Right. Well, then I had, you have, I had to worry about like if, if they were getting out of their crib, not to give you anything, I'm sure that you haven't thought of, but you know, like it, what, it, what if their leg gets stuck or what if they're, what if he falls, yeah. what if he falls the wrong way or what, and then having uh, to like sprint to wherever they are um, or not sleep just in case, just in case, or have him sleep yeah. next to me just in case. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. 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 So I definitely, um, I can relate to all of that. And, um, and but so, they really and are, that be- I mean, sorry. And that being sober too, but that, that I can, you know, there are so many women out there right now who are dealing with this amount, the same amount of stress who oh, are active yeah. in their addictions. And I can't like, I, you know, my heart goes out honestly, yeah. um, oh. because I did, I, I, I medicated, I self-medicated my anxiety for a really long time. Um, and so I, I get, messages from moms all the time who are experiencing this very struggle, this, this anxiety of being a new mom or struggling yeah. with PPD or yeah. postpartum anxiety um, and, you know, not, and, and going to alcohol in order to deal with that. And so um, there, it's a lot, it's so much stuff. Um, and this and, is what I was just saying. There just isn't enough support for mothers. Full stop. I mean, in American culture, it's like you have your baby, get on with it. I uh, I have a friend who lives in Sweden, and they just have this amazing system, you know, where they have like two years of paid maternity leave, and the country's not bankrupt. And uh, they they put like when you get pregnant, you get put in a group, like so you with your group you go through like all the you know classes and questions and all that kind of stuff. And she says like then you see these groups in the playground, and like so you like have this group of new mothers and. And I just thought, oh my God, I would love, I would have loved that. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I went, I had my first baby in the Midwest and I was going to mother and baby groups, very, very nice ladies, very supportive, but everyone was considerably younger than me, like 15 years. Oh, wow. And, and um, a lot of them were, were religion based, which is fine, but not totally my thing. And I just, I, I just didn't feel like I fitted and I did finally find some, you know, mothers who were older and that I, you know, that was, I, I, I'm an older mother. I had my kids at 38 and 42 and, you know, I was going to groups with women who were 20 years younger than me. Right. Yeah. Right. And I had the same, I had the opposite problem. Yeah. I was, when I had Corinne, I was 17. And so yeah. I learned a lot of teen mom yeah. support groups. <laughs> Yeah, not like because it wasn't cool back then. I got I was a teen mom before it was cool, <sighs> and so, um, obviously not that it's cool, but you know what I mean. Like very sensationalized. Teen mom TV shows and yeah, 
and then probably young girls getting pregnant for the next season. Um, but yeah, so, but I think it's important that the the whole village mentality and, and it is important to have that support. And so I do appreciate the fact that, um, you know, that we're available to the, to the women of, you know, sober mommies. It's, it's so nice to see women interact in that, in our uh, secret group and just give each other such unconditional love and support. Um, because I wish that I'd had that space. I really do. I wish that not only had I had that space, but I wish that I was as brave as, as so many of the women that are in our group sharing uh, are, you know, I wish that Uh I had been less wrapped up in my head about what people were thinking and just more self-protective as far as like telling the truth about what was going on with me so that I could reach a point of, you know, health and wellness and happiness sooner instead of sitting in my shit for as long as I did. But yeah. ultimately those, those shit vests have made me who I am today and yay, I'll take them. But yeah. Yes. Okay. So it was great talking to you again. We are going to be here next week, hopefully on live for a bit longer next time. Um, yeah. And we're going to be talking about more in depth about motherhood and sobriety. So we're going to be taking questions. So I think Julie is going to post on sober mommies. And you can uh, put your questions to Julie, and we will go ahead and answer those next week. Perfect. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sounds awesome. Okay. All right. Have a good week. Speak to you next week. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.